Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Greg. Hello. Leslie. Hello. And Hunter. Hi. And we're going to recap and do some quick reviews of all the games that we played at Origins 2019. Woo! Woo! This means, of course, that our what we've been playing is pretty much the entire episode. So there's quite a bit. I think we'll just uh, jump in. All right. So rules are whoever is going to overview the game gets 30 seconds to tell you a little bit about what it's about. And then each person who played the game gets 30 seconds to talk about it. Are we ready? Let's do it. No. All right. Hmm. Shipwreck Arcana. Greg, what's the game about? So Shipwreck Arcana is a game in which each of up to six players takes turns being the fortune teller, and they're trying to convey using just two tiles that they have pulled with numbers one to seven, which number they're holding by placing one number down in front of them. So uh, the way that this is done is there's cards out in a tableau in the center, and those can be different things like if you're holding two numbers, place the higher one on the ground. Or if you're holding both odd numbers, place Cool, one what's here. your review of it? I thought it was great. I didn't do a very good job of explaining it just there. 30 seconds isn't a lot of time, but I thought it's great. I thought it takes a lot of the same like limited communication elements of Mysterium, but splits up the workload of the ghost slash fortune teller uh, among multiple people, which I found really compelling. Core gameplay was really solid. I would definitely give it a buy it. It's also like pretty small. Comes in a small box. Very nice, elegant sized. And Jacob, what do you think of that game? I really like it. Uh, I think it was one of my favorite games that we played at Origins. It was the like mix of like Mysterium with having the the one person who's giving the, the clue uh, not being able to talk to everyone else. And I really do enjoy that part. I, I like being the clue giver most of the time. And the fact that there's a lot more deduction in there, like uh, the tiles that you flip over when you can conclusively like knock out like certain numbers a lot of fun and i'm gonna give it a buy it as well super hunter i thought the art was really nice and it was a good time filler but not a lot of i feel like if you were really good at logic puzzles it might not be very difficult like if you have two or three really good people at that so i'll give it a play it awesome uh i also played this game i thought it was really entertaining that my sister and brother-in-law brought this game and we didn't actually find it at origins um i would give it a buy it because i found it entertaining because i really love logic puzzles next up is pipeline hunter why don't you tell us about that game in 30 seconds oh boy okay so basically <laughs> you're all playing as economic like ceos or barons and you're trying to get this economy going with all the other players and build up a pipeline network that it connects all of these pipes together and then you're trying to use a worker every turn to plop it down and do something on the board wherever you go and it's just a lot of moving money around and trying not to go broke and that's about it all right what is your review of that game I would do buy it. I have been thinking more and more about that game. I really enjoyed the intellectual challenge. And after my first play and playing it a second time, I thought that I could notice the things that I had figured out. So I really enjoyed that kind of a very long-term puzzle. Super. Greg, you also played Pipeline. What'd you think? I did also play Pipeline. I was definitely less enthused about it than Hunter was. Um, it's a very heavy game and not just, you know, brain burning in that sense, but it's also very large. It takes like, it took us like half an hour just to set the damn thing up. And all in all, I didn't find the theme to be very compelling, sort of moving oil around and refining it. it wasn't something I could sink my teeth into. I did only play one game. And by the end of it, I had realized like, 
okay, these are the types of things that you could maybe do to make this game work in terms of strategies, but... And you are out of time. Skip it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I'm going to move on to something that we all played, Century New World. Jacob, tell us about Century New World. Century New World is the newest and last game of the Century Trilogy, and it is a pretty much worker placement type game where you have certain spots and you're doing the same Century type things where you're uh, upgrading cubes, getting cubes, and this time we got like corn, meat, and uh, tobacco and, uh, and stuff, and pretty much you try to get points that way. Cool. What's your review? Uh, my review is a play it. I enjoyed the game enough, but I still think that uh, all the other Century games pale in comparison to Century Spice Road. I don't like the fact that you don't really get to build an engine, but, you know, fun enough. Hunter, what's your review? I would say buy it, especially if you have the other games, because I like getting to take the basic system and throw it into a bunch of different uh, things. And I also enjoyed putting all three of the games together. And I think... For me, it's also really easy to teach, especially to people who have played the other games, so I will go buy it. Greg? I like this game well enough. I think it is, in terms of a standalone, the best of the trilogy. I think it also pairs well with the others. I think I really like that modularity as a concept. I think that's really interesting. Um, so if I'm looking at the trilogy, I say buy it for New World. If I'm looking at the series as a whole, I say if you like that series, New World will fit importantly into that paradigm otherwise skip it cool um i actually didn't play this game at origins but have played since and i would say definitely play it and again if you like the other century games and you would like to combine them that's a super fun idea that's pretty unique and definitely try that out all right so let's move on to graffiti nights greg why don't you tell us about graffiti nights in 30 seconds or less sure so graffiti nights is a game that's currently in development from omari akil who we had a jenga interview with at last year's WashingCon, in which you play a team of graffiti artists who are going around the city trying to tag different landmarks so skyscrapers and post offices and things like that in order to score the most points throughout the game you're going to be playing cards from your hand in order to adjust the values of your knights at different locations and trying to beat other players for those locations. Cool. What's your review of that game? I thought it was really interesting. I can't really say, you know, skip it, play it, buy it since it's not out yet, but I am going to say keep an eye on it, which I'm going to call analogous to a play it. I think there's a lot of really interesting concepts here. I think it's easy to fall behind, but there are some really interesting ways that you can sort of play the field and do some head fakes that can catch you up quickly and very surprisingly. Cool. Jacob. Uh, I like the game. I think it was a lot of fun to play. I really like the concept of uh, having the day, day phase and the night phase. Some cards that you use only for the day, some cards that you use at night. And the fact that you're really trying to head fake the other players to see who, who can get it. I definitely think that this is a game you should keep your eye on. I would definitely say play it. Awesome. I also played this game. I would say definitely play it. All the same, you know, it's clearly in development. Clearly still things he's working on, which is why I was in the unpub room. But if you see Omari at another con, I would say check it out. I really liked the idea that it was pretty small. Just a few cards that you could play, break out at a restaurant or something like that. So, all right. Let's go to Unmatched. Hunter, give us a 30-second description of that game. Okay. It is based off of Star Wars Epic Duels. It's kind of a spiritual successor to that, which is also a Rob Davio game. And it's going to be coming out at Gen Con. And it is... A skirmish game, one versus one, or teams of two versus two, and you basically play lots of different weird characters put together to like skirmish and fight. So you can play like Medusa 
Robin Hood, Sasquatch. I know that the uh, Bruce Lee is also another one. So um, it's all card based and no, no dice, actually. No dice. All right. What's your review of that game? I am definitely going to just throw it out and say top shelf. Whoa. Even though it's not out yet because I loved Star Wars Epic Duels. And it also the idea of playing with these characters together seems a lot of fun. And watching my six-year-old niece be able to pick it up and play it was also really awesome. So I think, you know, with that game, we played in like party settings. We played it in more like board game settings. So I'm really excited to play it now. Cool. Thank you. I also played that game. It was super fun to play with Maddie um, (laughs) and watch her pick up the game. I mean, granted, she has been playing games since she was two. um, But she was like, nope, I know this math. I know this card. I've got this. Playing Alice was really awesome. And I have to say there were multiple times over the course of the week where I had wished that the game was already out so that we could play it in the evening. So definitely, definitely a buy it from me. Now I need a minute to breathe so I can find another game. Um, Rainbow Cats, Jacob. Rainbow Cats is a game by a friend of the podcast, Josh Hipsher. It's a game that's going to be coming out to Kickstarter in, I believe, January 2020. And it's a game about uh, having a favorite cat and least favorite cat and trying to get as many of the toys of your favorite cat out on the board as possible. And uh, you're pretty much every turn just playing another toy out on this grid. And everyone has their own scoring for each place on the grid. You're trying to get your cat's toys on the grid on the cool. Best What's your review? I definitely think that this would be a buy it for me. I really do enjoy the game. I, th- I love the fact that everyone has their own both secret uh, favorite cats as well as their own scoring grid. So that I think makes it really fun, really replayable and small game to bring to the table. Awesome. Greg, what did you think of that game? I really enjoyed it. It's very fun. It's very, you know, quick to learn, quick to play, very bright and colorful. It sort of occupies a similar space for me as something like the original Century in terms of how long it takes to play. And I would love to play this. I have lots of friends who love cats. uh, (laughs) And it's just super cute, super quick. And also the sort of secret scoring element does add like a compelling like surprise at the end. So definitely a play. Cool. So we have a Jacob and Greg game. Let's move on to a Hunter and Greg game. Heaven and Ale. Hunter, why don't you tell us about that game? All right, so this game is a game where you're moving your piece around the outside of the board, picking up various items to then build and increase your tableau. So you can build things on one side of your board in order to increase your goods of that type, and you can build on the other side of the board in order to increase the amount of money that you'll get. And then you have various ways of activating all those tokens that you put down. And then you're trying to use those in order to brew beer, which basically is by the end of the game, get all of your tracks up to as high as you can, and then you score your lowest track. Cool. What did you think of that game? I would give it a play it. I did get this in the math trade, and I've heard lots of good things about it, and I've played it another time since the con, and I have enjoyed how easy it is for me to teach people how to play, and I also see a lot of opportunities for learning how to place things on the board so that I can take advantage of the strategies that it has. And so I will give it a play it. All right, Greg. Uh, I'm going to say skip it. I think the placement and utilization mechanics are pretty unique and interesting, but I they can't carry the game for me. It's not even that there's too much to wrap your head around. It's just that nothing seems to like make sense. You're raising six different parameters, but at the end of the game, only one parameter is going to matter because they all like shrink towards one another. So it's kind of It just feels redundant to me. So I wasn't a a big fan. I would say skip it. Cool. 
All right, so now how about a Leslie and Greg game? Coimbra, Greg, why don't you tell us a little bit about that game? So Coimbra is a really interesting game. It is a game in which you're going to be rolling dice that have different colors. And once the dice have been rolled, each player is going to take turns taking a die. And the color will eventually determine what sort of income you gather. There's coins and knights and progress on a monastery track and things like that. But also the face of the die will determine when in certain action selections you get to go. So these are how you're going to acquire your cards and acquire sort of the things that go into your tableau. So you've got these things that you have to balance. Cool. What's your review? I thought it was great. I thought this was a really nifty mechanic, really fully utilizing these elements, in this case the dice, uh, and kind of having to think about, okay, do I want a low number so that I can go early here? But oh, only the, all the low numbers are only orange and gray, which I don't care about. So finding different paths and different things to care about and having to sort of strike a balance, I thought was really interesting and carried really the whole game on its back. So it was a play it for me. Awesome. I also really enjoyed this game. I think it's moving into my buy it zone because there's been a few times since we played it that I wished I had access to it. It is by the same people who made Lorenzo El Magnifico, which I really like, but never get to play for some reason, which is why I ended up not buying Coimbra at the con. And Coimbra did come out last origin, so this is not the new hotness, but uh, last year's hotness, oddly enough. But yeah, definitely a buy it from me. Lantern's Dice. Jacob or Greg, who would like to cover that? I'll go for it. So Lantern's Dice is the almost re-implementation of the Lantern's mechanic, but this is a roll and write game. So you have four dice that you roll. They get rolled in this little pin where it goes uh, into a certain pattern. You choose which way the pattern's oriented. You then get whatever die is closest to you. Your opponents get which ones are closest to them. Um, And then you're trying to make patterns that you're putting fireworks on top of on the actual thing. And the way that you do the patterns and have the the dice filled in is how you get the points at the end. Cool. What'd you think of that game? I liked it enough. I think it was a lot of fun. It was very unique for me. I hadn't really played a lot of Roll and Write, and this one I think was a good introduction to them. I think that it really captured the Lantern's aesthetic, and I liked the uh, spatial aspect of it. That being said, I think that it really wasn't my favorite, but I think you should definitely play it. Cool. Greg, what did you think of Lantern's Dice? I like this a lot. Uh, I had previously hyped up the original Lanterns. I do want to walk back that review a little bit. I previously gave it a top shelf. Now the original Lanterns, I think, would be a play it. Lantern's Dice, on the other hand, is a buy it. I think it takes a lot of the theme, a lot of sort of the concepts that are in the base game and just does more with them. You've got filling in these boxes that can activate different bonuses. You've got uh, additional bonuses that you can purchase if you've filled in the right types of things. They just give you a lot more control over what you're doing and how you're doing it. So buy Lantern's Dice. Awesome. So I'm going to head into a few games that were played by only one person. We're going to start with Beta Colony. Hunter, what did you... Describe this game <laughs> no in 30 seconds and All then right, tell so us... It is a game with a rondelle, which <laughs> I normally love. And it's basically going around trying to up your resources and then drop colony elements on these three planets. And then you go up on the colony tracks and you get some other resources. And I'll just stop the description there. And um, this is a burn it for me. Uh, It's really hard to see a game with this many problems that I could salvage. I've never had a game have this many graphic design snafus and component problems and the gameplay just from looking at it was like eh, this doesn't look like it's really going to be that fun and then there's all these other problems put on top of that 
We were missing a, a third of the cubes that it was supposed to come with. Yeah. Dang. First burn it on the channel, too. Yeah, wow, monumental moment. There you go, but huh? we don't have time for that. We have to move on to the next game. Jacob, yep. talk to us about Inuit. So Inuit is a pretty much, they call it a card drafting game. I think it's more of a tableau building game. Uh, you're building pretty much an Inuit village that has different warriors and things like that, uh, hunting different animals uh, in the Arctic. Art artwork is beautiful. It is a very easy game to pick up. And... I'm going to jump right into what I thought about it. I really enjoyed the game. I think the artwork, first of all, sold me on it just from the first time I saw the post on Facebook. And then playing it, it really is an enjoyable game. It's a lot of the stuff with uh, just building your tableau and getting more and more of the game. So buy it from me. Cool. Also, I played some games with my niece. Um, I got the chance to play Honga by Haba. It's a new game that came out at Origins where it's sort of a worker placement style game with a little mechanic of you have to have a hand facing Hanga, who is a saber-toothed tiger who might come over and start eating your resources if you're not handling him properly. So, uh, yeah. That's pretty great. Not intentional, but it happened. Despite the fact that this was, you know, it's a kid's game. I think it's in their family line. But I thought that the mechanics were really unique. Obviously simple enough to pick up, relatively easy. The components are always amazing. But I really, really enjoyed the game. And I say if you have a family or if you have kids who like games and you want to play with them, this game was very entertaining for everyone involved. So definitely a buy it if you have kids. Uh, if not, might be too simple for you. Next up, Jacob, you played lots by yourself. Yes, I did. Uh, this is actually a game that I got to play the giant like demo version of at <laughs> uh, KickTrack, uh, which was a party that we usually go to. And it is a fun stacking game where you're stacking pretty much Tetris-like pieces. And you get points by matching the ones that are the same colors and also completing floors. You also have to stay within a certain blueprint and... I really enjoyed the game. I think that it was very, very simple to pick up. I actually picked it up within one game and then taught it a little bit later that night. And Unsolicited, by yeah. the way. He just noticed <laughs> that some people were looking at it. The guy who was running the demo wasn't there. And he was like, I know how to play. I'll teach you. Yep, pretty much. And yeah, I think it's a really fun, simple game. It's also really good for kids. But I will say that I really enjoyed it. If you get a chance to play the giant demo version, definitely do that as well. I will give this a buy it. Awesome. Hunter, tell us about Fine Sand. All right, so this is uh, the new Freedom and Freeze game. It's called a uh, hard deck destruction game, I believe. It's basically kind of the opposite of a deck building game. You're taking cards out instead of putting them in. And there's also, it's part of the Fabled system, so it's going, you're going to play it multiple games, and each game your deck is going to change a little bit. The mechanics were very simple. I found it to be very intriguing. I would like to try and explore it some more, but I am worried that the theme probably is going to hold it back for me. I still think based on the short playtime and the fact that your deck's going to change through multiple games is interesting, so I'm going to give it a buy it. Cool. All right. Um, to round out all of the individual games, Jacob, tell us about Adventure Island. So Adventure Island is pretty much uh, Robinson Crusoe light, like somewhere between Robinson Crusoe and Seventh Continent. It is a game where you're pretty much going through an adventure that a lot of the things are prepackaged, but you can also do uh, do it again. And um, you're going through using these cards to move around. You have very limited actions. You also can't let anyone die. You can exhaust. You can do things like that. And 
I enjoyed it. I think it was a lot of fun. The stories behind it, especially after when I played like the the first session, it was just like I want to play this again and see how how this will go. Uh, it still has enough challenge, but is a lot quicker and a lot lighter than than Robinson. So for me, this was definitely a play it. I would say. Cool. Um, and I lied. I, there's one more game that was just me, which was Snail Sprint. Yet another Haba game that I played with my niece. And she taught me how to play, which was awesome. But Snail Sprint is a game with uh, colorful snails. And the cool thing about this game is that the box it comes in is metal. And then it becomes part of the board. And the snails have magnets. And you roll a die. And then you get to choose to move, say, the pink snail to the blue um, next blue marker or whatever that you get two different colors and you have to choose what to move to where based on your secret hidden agenda um, that tells you which snails you want to score for at the end. Again, super cute game with amazing components from Haba. If you have kids, this is awesome. It was very entertaining and it went very quickly. So much better than Candyland. So that is my review of Snail Sprint and there will be no more Haba games, but... Uh, was it a buy it? Oh, yeah, definitely a buy it if you have kids. Probably a skip it if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back into the games that were played by more than one of us. So let's go to Troika and Greg. Yeah, so Troika is an oink game. It comes in a little tiny box, has pretty simple components. You are basically miners on a planet. You're trying to extract rocks which have certain numbers on them. The numbers are, I believe, 1 through 15. And you need to get certain combinations of rocks in order to A, make it off the planet, and B, score. So again, sort of this, there is a danger that you don't score that you see in a lot of Oink games, uh, slightly different execution. Overall, though, I think I enjoyed it. It was kind of fun. I liked the idea that you could take stone and see what the score was and kind of keep it in front of you. And then at a later point, if you decided, oh, my strategy shifted, you could put it back in the center. Mm. And you could kind of adapt on the fly. So I like that. I think it's a play it, though. doesn't quite hit that level of buy it for me. Hunter, what did you think of Troik? I don't have a lot to say about it, just that I'm not really into abstract games. I think if someone's not into abstract games, I think they would probably have a problem with getting into it. I didn't actually quite understand the theme from playing it, so I'd give it a skip it. Cool. Right. Next up, Fire Tower. Jacob. All right, Fire Tower. This is a game where you are... Competing fire towers trying to burn down the other ones. Yep, the theme does not make a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> you are pretty much uh, every turn placing at least one fire piece and then like playing one card from your hand that will either extinguish parts of the fire, change the direction of the wind, which is which will determine where the fire is placed, or pretty much just uh, add more fire. We played the team variant and I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was uh, a lot of fun. In general, it's an interesting concept. The theme doesn't really work very well, but at the same time, I, I like the growth and like the, uh, the you get pretty frantic by the end and that kind of stuff. But for me, I would say play it. All right, Hunter, what did you think of that game? All right, it's got nice components. The team variant was nice because there are not a lot of team games out there. I would see playing uh, every person against each other would be really, really unpleasant. And also, when I think of a game with this theme, I think of a co-op game. And so I have a very big problem with the theme, so I will go skip it. Cool. Why don't you then tell us a little bit about Merlin? All right, so Merlin is, although our friend JR would, would disagree, it's basically a roll-and-move game. But you have the ability to pick which dice you use to move and activate those actions. 
And you're basically trying to move around and send out your minions and build some houses out there and try to score victory points through a various point salad options so you can do all kinds of things and you're trying to fight off various enemies that are threatening your realm. So you do that by collecting these shields and then you can also collect banners to gain benefits uh, that those kingdoms give you. All right, what did you think of that game? I would give it a skip it. So I love Steffenfeld games, but there was not enough control for me to really be able to do anything I wanted to. Uh, I found my strategies, I just had to adapt on the fly a whole bunch to, uh, to different things. I will say it's only a skip it because if I was going to play a Steffenfeld game, I'd just rather play Trajan or something. It wasn't a bad game. It's just when you put it into that pool, it doesn't really match. But I have heard that the expansion might fix some of those problems. So maybe get it with the expansion if it intrigues you. Jacob, what did you think of that game? Um, it was interesting. I think that uh, I have similar complaints to Hunter. I felt like there was too much going on. And, and I think one of my things with these games is that I didn't feel like I was able to get to a point where I felt satisfied. The game ended before I could get to that point. And I have this problem with a lot of these types of games, but also the roll and move aspect, the fact that you can't do whatever like you want. It's not like someone else is blocking you. You just can't make it there. Not enough dice mitigation in my eyes. Uh, I think that it would be a skip it for me. All right. So now a game that we definitely all played we played it together atlantis rising second edition greg tell us about this game yeah so in atlantis rising uh which is the second edition of this you are basically atlanteans who know that the island is going to fall you're the only ones who know this though so you have to acquire resources and slowly convince the populace in the form of acquiring more workers in order to build like a quote-unquote stargate at the center of the island that's gonna it's not a stargate. That's gonna Sorry. save you all. And yeah, the, the game takes place all while the island is flooding. And what did you think of that game? It was a game. <laughs> um, I really liked the theme. I really wanted to like it because Atlantis is a compelling theme. I thought that the sort of exigency that exists in the form of the waves rising and literally destroying parts of the island was really cool. I'd like to see more games exploring that. I just don't think this one had much else going on for it. So uh, skip it from me. Jacob? Uh, similar to Greg, I think the components were really great. The artwork was amazing, but this was a game that really could have a lot of quarterbacking. Even we noticed that within our game. And it honestly was a little bit easy. I mean, we were playing it on easy mode, but it was still just like after a while, like once we were working together, it was just like, all right, well, there's an obvious move here to do every turn. And so I think for me, it's not really up there with what I like in cooperative games. So skip it. Hunter. I mean, it is interesting that it is a co-op worker placement game. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. However, I will just explain quickly my first two turns of that game. I put down my workers. One of my workers disappeared into the water. I rolled dice to try to gain resources and gain zero resources. On the second turn, I put down all my workers and I gained, and I was the resource gathering guy and I gained one resource. So in the first two turns, I effectively didn't do a thing. And that had already, I'd almost checked out by that point. So I'm giving it a skip it. Awesome. I, I'm i also going to give it a skip it. I think that we mathed the crap out of that game <laughs> at some point and just like we figured out how to math the system and we gained all the resources really fast. And the person teaching us the game seemed really shocked about that. I do have to call out the fact that the art 
not only was amazing, but was also very inclusive. The character yeah. I was playing was not only female, but in a wheelchair, um, which I thought was amazing. They had non-binary gender characters and as well, which you don't see. You just don't. So definitely check out the art. If logic puzzles are not your strong, strong point, it might be more of a challenge. Uh, but for me, it's kind of a skip it, and I would rather play Shipwreck Arcana. So that is we all played Ship Shape. Uh, Hunter, can you t- tell us about Ship Shape? Uh, sure. So this is also a Rob Davio game. It, it is basically each of you have a three by three grid that you are going to be trying to fill each round. And there's, I think, three rounds. And you're going to be bidding cards from your hand that have various numbers between one and, and ten. And which the order of those cards is going to determine who gets to pick from the top of the stack first. And if there's a tie between two cards, those people discard their card and have to do another card. So then everyone else goes before them. And they're just trying to score the most points from all these things that are showing in your hold. And you're stacking up these pieces on top of each other that have different sort of polyomino shapes. Cool. What did you think of that game? I would give it a skip it. It was one of these games where all you're doing is sort of things to get you points. And that's kind of something that I've seen so many times before. So I think there are other games in that time window that I would rather play. And I also think there was kind of a lack of control and a randomness to what tile you got. Mm -hmm. Greg? I thought it was pretty neat. The two elements of this game that really make it stand out in my mind are the spatial element, uh, Hunter... That guy um, <laughs> mentioned the three by three grid and the different shapes of tiles that you're trying to take and kind of puzzling out where they need to go. But then also the bidding element, you don't get to choose if you're highest, you take first, right. which means you can try to bid low. And if someone undercuts you, you can actually end up getting stuck with one you don't want. So interesting elements there. I say play it. I also played this one. I would also say play it. I enjoy Tetrisy type games, and I love trying to cover up all of the things, which I was able to do, I think, twice in the three rounds that we played, which was pretty cool. I don't think I would buy it, but if somebody brought this to game night, I would definitely play it again. All right, so I'm going to go to Concordia Venus, and I'm going to have... Greg, tell us about that one. Aha, you're getting names wrong, too. (laughs) (laughs) It was. Um, So Concordia Venus is the team variant of Concordia, which is a game where you play cards from your hand in order to move your people, your workers, around a map, usually someplace in the Mediterranean, and then place trading posts on different cities. Trading posts on cities enable you to collect resources and place more trading posts on more cities and get more resources. And it's all very (laughs) simple. Um, Venus, as I mentioned, is the team expansion, and I think that's really cool. There are things that you can do and ways that you can... Well, okay, we were pretty liberal about the ways you were allowed to communicate with your partner. (laughs) But even just having a partner means that the way that you approach the strategy of the game is fundamentally different, which I found very, very intriguing. So uh, it's a play it for me. If you don't like the underlying game, obviously that's going to be a skip it. But if you like Concordia, if you like resource management, check out Venus. Jacob. I really like team games. So for me, this game really uh, hit a good spot. Just working with someone else, uh, even across the table, you get to do both of their actions, trying to figure out like, you know, even like sharing money and that kind of stuff. I really liked it. And even though I don't have Concordia, I definitely think this would be a buy it. I'll bring it anytime. Exactly. (laughs) You know, I have access to Concordia pretty well. 
so I, I definitely like the the ideas behind it and uh, working together with someone even more than the base game. All right. And it does, by the way, you can buy Concordia Venus together with the base game yep. as a one box for anybody who's interested. Hunter. Maybe it hasn't uh, become apparent, so I haven't been on this podcast for long yet, but this is one of my favorite games as a base game. And team variants are a whole other level of awesome. Getting to coordinate with someone else and, and try to figure things out with someone else is just amazing. Putting it on top of an already amazing game. Uh, it's a top shelf for me, hands down. There we go. It's your second one of the episode. You're very, you're, uh, what was the word I used? Superlative. Superlative. Uh, he's very yes. superlative today. I mean, he, two top shelves and one burn it. I mean, like, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's what cons are for. He's yeah. taking advantage of the system. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. Just as a heads up, we only have two games left. Oh, snap. Ooh. So, Hunter, tell us about Dead Man's Cabal. Okay, so this is a game about moving pieces around the board to do various <laughs> things. You're going to collect a skull, put it down on a track, pull another skull off, and the color of that is going to determine your personal action on this board, and there's four colors of skulls. And then you're going to do something that I don't remember. Oh, there's a, there's a track that lets uh, you pick an action that everyone will do a lesser version of. And you basically play around this set of actions until you have built up a tableau of dead people that are coming to your party because you are a loser and can't find friends to come to it. What did you think of this game? I would say this is one of those games that is a process. <laughs> it has cool <laughs> components. And the art on the cards was cool too, but it was kind of just things are happening for the sake of the things to happen to get to the end of the game. And it wasn't bad. It was mechanically sound. The pieces came together correctly, but it just wasn't exciting. So I give it a skip it. All right, I also played this game and felt a lot of those same situations. I also forgot that I played this game, so that's how <laughs> memorable it was. Um, it did have really cool components, and it seemed like it was going to be kind of the new hotness for a second, and then nobody was talking about it. Sort of like those movies that are really hyped up in all the commercials, and then they just disappear from the theater, and you never hear of them again. So I would say probably a skip it, though I did really like the art. All right. Last up is Unusual Suspects. Who wants to tell us about Unusual Suspects? I can go ahead and jump in on this one. This is another sort of Mysterium-like game where you have one person who knows who the murderer is, and then you have a grid of uh, three by four suspects. They don't have names, they just have pictures, and then you pretty much flip over a card that has a question. The witness will then answer it with uh, a yes or a no. Then... The people have to eliminate who they think is not the suspect until they eliminate everyone other than the killer. What did you think of that game? I thought it was absolutely hilarious fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's the kind of thing because the questions aren't like about their appearance or anything like that. It's like, does this person watch CNN? <laughs> Would this person be the first one to die in a zombie apocalypse? And that just makes everyone have like these really interesting discussions about like just looking at these portraits and being like, no, I think that that person definitely watches CNN or I think that that person would definitely never play video games or this one would never donate to charity and that kind of stuff. And then you get to like see just what people think based on that. I would say bye. Awesome. Greg? I was not as enthused about this game as Jacob. <laughs> I think, I mean, he's right. I think it functions a lot in a similar sort of space as Mysterium. I just don't like it quite as well. I think the... I mean, first of all, the art, you know, you're mostly just playing off of like caricatures almost, the same sort of exaggerated features. And the core gameplay of kind of 
making judgments about the characters and well about the individuals is entertaining but also like i did feel a little bit awkward and mean-spirited <laughs> the whole time which is not a way i like to feel so it's a skip it for me uh hunter I got this in the math trade. I had heard that it was polarizing in the way that both of these people have just described. <laughs> and that is kind of maybe some of why I was intrigued by it. It is kind of like profiling the game. Yep. And I thought the art was pretty intriguing. I think it's actually really good that it has a deck of questions that you ask so that you don't have like awkward moments where people ask kind of inappropriate questions about it. So I think that kind of saves it from kind of going down that dark rabbit hole. And I'm really happy that I picked it up. I'm going to give it a buy it. Awesome. So uh, those of you who listen, I probably have mentioned that I hate party games. Not, I don't like them at all. This is entertaining enough, but I definitely had the internal, this is funny and I'm laughing. I'm laughing at what people look at, look like. Ah, I don't know how I feel about this. So like, you know, if you're playing it with your close circle of friends, you have internal jokes, it's probably okay, but I probably would never play this with strangers. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you and, will never see this game on stream. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that is what we played at Origins. That's it. All 20-some games. I think we did pretty well. I, I should interject that we did play, of course, Spirit Island and other games that we'd played before. I think Spirit Island hit the table like three or four times. Oh, yeah. But you guys know how we think, feel about those games, so we didn't feel it necessary. These were pretty much only the new games that, we, that some of us have never played that we played at Origins. Right. Right. And also, I mean, obviously, huge caveat, many of these we played once, maybe yeah. twice. Uh, so all of these or reviews demos. and ratings are uh, very preliminary. Take them with a grain of salt. But these were sort of our first impressions, which often are very important when deciding whether you want to buy a game. So yeah. maybe not completely unuseful. I mean, Hunter top shelf a game that we demoed for 10 minutes. Top shelf a game that isn't out yet, Yeah, I want to point out. Yeah. If you guys haven't played Star Wars Epic Duels and you just don't know... Yeah, I clearly <laughs> there's something going know. over my head. All right, I still have it, by the way. Well, then so we'll have to try it. it out. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, uh, thank you all for joining us for this uh, recap of the games that we played at Origins and what we thought of them. And join us next week for another Origins recap episode. This one about the people that we talked to. <laughs>